Hi guys, welcome back to Babylon Undead. This is a part two of our Star Trek extravaganza where we delve into the films of Star Trek. I'm here with Paul Anderson. How are you doing? Yeah, all good. I'm very excited to be here because we're talking about my favourite Star Trek film today. So um, it's all downhill from Star Trek 2 for me. So, uh, <laughs> so by the time we get to uh, Star Trek Beyond, is it Beyond? I forget which whichever one, the, the, the last J.J. Abrams one. No, sorry, the James oh, yeah. Wan one, in fact. So by the time we get there, I don't know how enthusiastic I'll be, but I'm very excited to be here. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. There's definitely going to be a lull where it's going to it, it's going to be a bit painful. Perhaps I don't know. I'm I'm thinking of Star Trek um, Insurrection, in particular is the one I'm not looking forward to. <laughs> yeah. But there we go. There we go. We've all got our, our crosses to bear. Um, yeah. So last week we spoke about the motion picture, which is my favourite. This week we're speaking about uh, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Um, as we, we we said on the last episode, there was a lot of shenanigans behind the scenes in just trying to get Star Trek, the motion picture, off the ground. Um, and while Star Trek, the motion picture, did very well in the box office, the, the nonsense behind the scenes, the problem with Gene Roddenberry causing mischief and mayhem, who fairly or unfairly got a lot of the blame for the... Uh, the poor critical release of, of Star Trek the motion picture um, led to Paramount Pictures deciding okay one hand obviously we're going to do another Star Trek film but on the other hand you're not going to have the crazy budget you had for the last one so we're going to give you a uh, wonderfully minuscule budget of 12 million dollars Wow! Uh, back in 1982 which in today's money is still a minuscule 31.8 million crazy crazy that he managed to get this made on basically the same budget as alien had mm. and if you like compare the films are just just f phenomenal what they've done quite frankly and yeah I'm, I'm when i was a kid this was my favorite film i said last week that motion picture is my favorite of the star trek films but it's really close mm. and yeah star trek 2 is really close it's like 0.5 of a percent away from motion picture in my mind and i kind of feel like that like that with star trek 3 as well a little bit because i really enjoy star trek 3 so this little arc this journey we're going on the the spock story arc if we, if we want to call it um I, I i'm really looking forward to it because this is one of the best things of the of the star trek series so how much do you know of the, the, the backstory of this? Uh, not much, to be honest. As far as my, my sort of awareness of the backstory is probably more on the narrative side of things than it is on production. So um, I remember when I watched this, and I watched this with my wife for the first time, I think we watched, we went to, to an IMAX to see Into Darkness when that came out, which obviously we'll get to way, way down the line. And then I said to my wife, I was like, you've got to watch Wrath of Khan with me, because trust me, Wrath of Khan's brilliant. And then my wife liked Wrath of Khan so much, she then sat down with me and watched the Space Seed original series oh. Oh, wow. episode which first introduced Khan so um yeah I was I felt I felt privileged that my wife had enjoyed uh, Wrath of Khan so much we then got to watch Space Seed which is the original series episode that is heavily referenced um in Wrath of Khan to the point where you don't really need to see the episode to get an understanding of what happens because they very kindly narratively explain it in the script for for Wrath of Khan they kind of they kind of go over the episode arc so yeah it was cool to see it was cool to see um a throwback to the original series for sure in this and I can imagine when this came out um again I wouldn't have seen this I definitely wouldn't have seen this at the cinema because this came out in the year I was born in 1982 so um, I can imagine for people watching this when they realised it was Khan I bet that was a very good callback to the series uh, yeah this is 
uh, this is a, a, a prime example of how listening to the fans' concerns, but but subverting them, and I mean that in a good way, not in a Ryan way, um, <laughs> Star Wars two way, uh, no Star Wars sequel nine eight nine whatever it is. Hey, oh, yeah. God, they don't like, they're dead to me. Okay, hey. <laughs> so I'm not paying too much attention to that. I'm sorry. But basically, there was a furor around Star Trek 2 because the, most of the Star Trek fans love Star Trek, the motion picture. The critics hated it. The box office said something else. People were going to watch the movie, perhaps going back three or four times and watching it. I remember being a kid, enthralled by it. It was more Close Encounters than Star Wars, but it was fantastic. But Paramount Pictures were not happy. They were not happy with um, Gene Roddery, and who uh, they thought it was all due to Gene Roddenberry with his interference with his constant screen rewriting his inflating of the budget changing the narrative every time so what they decided to do is use the base of what they've got to create something new so they they shifted the the focus onto Harve Bennett who then became basically the the showrunner if you want the producer of this and it could have gone so wrong because Harve Bennett was um, basically admitted that he didn't really know Star Trek so he spent three months in a Paramount lot watching Star Trek just going through the whole series making notes, figuring out what he liked what he didn't like etc etc and he's basically come out with an outline I'm sorry I saw already called, called him producer but he was the, the story writer mm. who became the producer uh, and, he, and he, he came he came out with a with a list of what Star Trek's about, primarily the, the the holy trinity of Kirk, Spot, McCoy, their relationship and how everything expands off that. But the other thing that he came out of is as soon as he hit the Space Seed episode, he went, well, that's our movie. Oh, right, okay. It's so obvious to him as he was watching it, he was like, well, that's what we need to do. And I think what Harve Bennett, what they started to do was write different takes on the story. We had issues with... Um, none of the cast and crew seemed to be very happy they were happy to be back in Star Trek but not happy with the production experience um, particular Leonard Nimoy who just written his autobiography around this time saying I am not Spock because he was pissed off being you know type, typecast yeah. typecast um, and he was very anti Star Trek anti the whole experience didn't want to come back so he said look I'm only going to come back if you write me out and you kill me um, word of that got out in all the little fan scenes that they were going to kill Spike, there was a letter writing campaign. People went nuts. They threatened to kill people. You know, <laughs> who would have thought that the fan base would a go toxic crazy? Fan base. I've, ne- I've never <laughs> heard of it. I won't have it. Never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it happened. But what they did uh, is take the criticisms, will basically play against the audience expectations. And when we get to the opening scene, where they they. It opens with the Kobayashi Maru. That's a prime example of them listening to the criticism and going, "Okay, you think Spock's going to die? Okay, we'll kill him. Mm. We'll kill him." And everyone went, "Oh, oh, see, they're not going to kill Spock. They're not going to do that. It's fine. They just killed him in the beginning. We got it wrong." Yeah. And it just—it was like it was a friendly fuck you to the audience, I think, or like a play with the audience, and 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 everyone just got in and had a good time with it. Um, as I said, it had a very low budget. This was the second film um, by Nicholas Mayer, who was brought in, who uh, 
again, we're not a big fan of Star Trek, and so he's restarted rewatching the episodes. And but he was a big fan of the old um, ship movies like Hornblower and um, of old war, World War Two movies, which we see later on in the film. You know, submarines chasing each other. Mm. Um, uh, so he's brought in the sort of the uh, nautical themes which is peppered throughout this film um, you can hear it in the score you can see it in the in, in, in the script they basically wrote and wrote and rewrote the script over and over again taking input from various different people allegedly William Shatner came up with the, with the ending with a plexiglass Kirk and, oh, okay. and, and him that's how he sold the whole death of Spock um, this turns out to actually be a sort of turning point for, for, for Star Trek. Paramount were pretty much convinced this is going to be the last film. Um, Nimoy was convinced. He was like, well, they're not going to do any more. I'm going, I want to go out in a blaze of glory. This is just going to be a, the last one. And it was such a massive hit compared to the money they put in, uh, the equivalent of $257 million today, which doesn't sound a lot, but when you're off, a, off on a budget of 30-odd million, that's, that's huge. Um, he enjoyed the experience so much that he came back mm. and he decided that before like it this actually seems like a much more enjoyable experience for everyone invo- in, involved Nicholas Meyer is a director's director in many ways he, he's very good with the actors he managed to deal with um, William Shatner's ego and overacting by just outweighing him <laughs> yes. literally yeah, with Ricardo Montalbán <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt yeah just <laughs> like yeah and, and also with like Kirk's Shatner's overacting. He, he he says in one interview that he like literally just made Shatner bored, and he found that the way to get the best performance out of Shatner was just to wear him out. <laughs> and there was such a, like a clash of egos, and eventually Shatner buckled and and accepted that he was an actor on some on someone's film, and let the ego go. And that's when I think you get a fantastic performance here from Shatner. I mean, it the cast all round. I think it's a good sequel and an accompaniment most people start with Wrath from Khan and go all the way through to uh, Voyage Home yeah. and say that's the trilogy but I like to start with motion picture because that's everyone coming together and this is the film where everyone sort of finds their feet well this this feels um, feels to me in in places like it's all, almost they're pressing the reset button because the the beginning of the film which were, which I might be jumping ahead sorry but they kind of they're all separate from the they're all separate from the Enterprise again. Kirk's not on the Enterprise. He comes back aboard. There's there's similarities here. But going back to what you're saying about the before we get into that, going back to what you're saying about the performances. Like if you look at Leonard Nimoy's performance here compared to the motion picture, Leonard Nimoy to me feels like Spock here. He feels like he's wants a glorious send off, and he feels like he's given it all to the role. Like I thought, Leonard Nimoy. It can, if you compare the two performances, compare the enthusiasm, Leonard Nimoy feels like Spock again in this one, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm totally that. You can see like the uniforms. As you say, the opening of this. I mean, let's start with it. We can, we can pepper the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole the whole film opens. Oh, perhaps it, like it, it's your turn. It's your film. You kick it off. Well, so as you've if you mentioned before, we open with the Kobashi Maru test, which is constantly referenced um, further down the series. Um, and yeah, I do remember the first time the first time I watched it, thinking 
shit they've killed they've killed everyone like it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's a brilliant little trick and yeah I, I wasn't aware it was it was done in such a way to toy with the audience um it doesn't surprise me that was done it makes kind of sense and then you have then you have kirk's like angelic entrance as he walks onto the uh, walks onto the bridge <laughs> like bathed in light like like jesus yeah. christ himself i don't know whether shatner uh, whether shatner had some input on his lighting there i imagine so um so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you have you have kirk walk on walk on scene judging the uh, judging the performance um with a trainee captain played by i believe the first screen role of curse the alley at this point was um was wrath of khan because it says um, introducing yeah. in the credits so i guess so mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah absolutely that that was her first role interesting little star trek geeky fact here they tried to get kim cattrall in okay. the role of Savick originally Harv Bennett really wanted mm. Kim Cattrall um, however she and she wanted to do it her being a Star Trek geek in herself but she wasn't available unfortunately so they got Kirstie Alley later obviously Kirstie Alley ran into trouble and couldn't come back for the third film um, and the the Vulcan character in Star Trek 5 no 6 the, uh, Undiscovered, Undiscovered Country, country. Yeah. That was supposed to be Savic, but the producers thought it was too much of a negative arc. So it's weird how all these sort of the tendrils of I don't know fate for a film that deals with fate and consequence and and and, uh, and stuff like that is 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 remarkable. Sorry, continue. No, absolutely. Um, and then you've got um, yes, you've got the callback. Yeah, sorry. So you've got the the Kobayashi Maru scene. Um, you've got in the earlier moments of the film as well. You've got, I think, some of the finest Bones and Kirk conversation that when uh, mm-hmm. when I always remember when Bones turns up at Kirk's house with Romulan and Ale, uh, and Kirk's like, "That's <laughs> illegal," and he was like, I "Use it for medicinal purposes." And you're like, "Yeah." I, I kind of wish, to be honest, I would have watched that film if it had just been the two of them getting getting wasted in Kirk's apartment. I'd have watched that film, to yeah. be honest. Like, yeah, so yeah, um, yeah it's, it's a great moment, and it's just like, oh, and this is where I think it kind of harks back to the to the motion picture a bit where he's just like oh you've, you've, you've gutted you've given up command you don't want to be stuck behind the desk you want to be galaxy hopping in command of a starship so this is where to me it almost feels feels like they've pressed the reset button and taken it back a step from um, from the motion picture whether that was intentional yeah. or not I don't know but they, they, there are similarities I think between the openings between the openings of the films um, and then we kind of jump to the USS Reliant um, which is uh, vetting planets for something called Project Genesis um, mm-hmm. nothing, I don't think you could get much more Star Trek than Project Genesis to be honest I think it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a brilliant idea um, which basically to, to, to sum it up is um, some kind of device or technology they've come up with um, which appears to be in some kind of it's kind of like a bomb that creates life I guess is probably is, would that be a good way to describe it that yeah it's like a like a, some kind of torpedo isn't it yeah like a, yeah and yeah. basically they're, they're looking for planets completely barren of life where they can try and terraform them so they can bring life to uh, bring life to planets that haven't got it um, which is again incredibly Star Trek incredibly mm-hmm. incredibly Federation like thing to do so they're out for the greater good essentially um, but um, which the fir- also the first sort of cracks like in the story that perhaps there's all is not well in utopia basically mm. because they say you know with all the problems with uh, famine and food etc etc it's like i mean logically does that doesn't make any sense at all but you just kind of think oh okay it's not quite perfect so it's, it's like gene roddenberry's shiny everyone's happy everyone's getting on a threat is external this is really the 
yes, the series had internal conflict, but this is the very first time you start seeing a little bit of the cracks appearing, mm. which is, I think, the story really needed, quite frankly. Yeah, I, I agree with you because there's no such thing as a perfect utopia, unfortunately. Um, no. And yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's, that's a really nice touch. So we're joined with Chekhov and a, another captain of the USS Reliant um, who beamed down to this barren planet just to ensure that it's lifeless, um, which again is something that Starfleet would 100% do. They are told categorically. Initially, they go, oh no, it's perfect for it. And then there's a potential, a very small life form that they pick up. So they're instructed with clearing instructions from the uh the people running project genesis who is uh who's the woman running project genesis i forget her name now off the top of my head uh, um, uh, bb oh i've just gone straight past it uh, BB Besh. Yeah, so I think that's how. She, yeah, yeah. So she is playing uh, someone from oh, Kirk. Doctor Carol Marcus. Doctor Carol Marcus. That's it. So she is playing someone from Kirk's past here. Um, so Doctor Carol Marcus is in charge of the Genesis Project. It's quite clear to the USS Reliant that they must go down and investigate this source of life. If it is, rem if there's a remote, even a remote source of life on the planet, they are not to proceed with Project Genesis to the second phase of testing Project Genesis. Um, they go down to the planet. Chekhov and the new captain of the Reliant go down to the planet and they realise that they, not, all is not what it seems and Chekhov runs into a face from his past and dun, 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 it's Khan uh, with possibly the best hair and the worst outfit I've ever seen on a living man <laughs> and the most amazing chest for a man yeah. his, of anyone at any age yeah. quite frankly <laughs> And it's real. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Nicholas Myers uh, says that one of the, the the most frequently asked questions is uh, how did how did you cast what's the chest real basically was the chest real and it was and it was it's great I think che I, th I think Chekhov's great in his um, Walter Koenig's great he really gets a a meat a bit of meat to mm. chew on with this one doesn't he Yeah. And Paul Winfield who plays the captain um, that. Uh, probably most also famous for playing Ed Traxler, the police lieutenant in the uh, first Terminator. Ah, um, that's where I recognise um, you from. I didn't yeah, clock that. Yeah. That's that was that was always for me, it was like, yeah, that's the guy from Terminator. Obviously it's the other way around, but um it, it always seems that way. And the it's great I think what they do in those roles is fantastic. It's it, it's just the economy of writing. Mm. You start to see that here as well. Like the the all the way through this, and I'm probably going to repeat myself because I'm I'm going to gush about this movie a bit. I must admit, I haven't seen this for a very long time, and I think I've underappreciated it. Quite frankly, the, the the level of precision in the writing of the of this film, the way that the characters talk to each other, and still give out exposition. Mm. But it's like they're talking to each other. It's not they're just standing there saying stuff that each character would know. Like so much of this bullshit we watch today yeah, has. I, oh, it just all comes out so naturally. And you've got to pick little pieces and put it together. And you're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. Even the reveal. Uh, yeah, like the, the way that Khan, Ricardo Martelbahn, interrogates and delivers exposition. It's brilliantly done. Oh. And this is the scene where this is yeah. where the scene where they give you the backstory to Khan, where he is yeah. um, a genetically modified um, super soldier, I guess, from the night from nineteen ninety six, I think he originally harks from. Which is great. I love oh, the fact that it's a dangerous year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love the fact that that's what everyone looked like in the nineties. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, but that that aside, like yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's exposition 
but not as we know it. Like it's just it's it's so well done. Like if it feels it, they are they are it's a hundred percent exposition. But the way the characters talk to each other, it just works. It doesn't feel clunky. You feel like okay, I'm learning at this. You feel like you're learning at the same time as the characters. Whereas opposed to, and yeah, and the, but a lot of problem with a lot of recent films is certainly just characters may as well just look at this. May as well just be breaking the fourth wall um, yeah, and giving exposition to you. Which I, yeah, I, I completely agree with you, and I don't think is the case here. So um, yeah, so this is the point where um, it sets the scene for. For Khan, uh, why he's he doesn't like Kirk much. Um, I think it's fair to be said throughout the whole yeah. film. He's got he's got a bit of a beef with Kirk. Um, so fifteen years ago, Kirk at the end of Space Seed, like they, for people that don't know what Space Seed is, it was an episode of Star Trek where they find some, as you say, genetically enhanced super, supermen and women from the 20th century just before you know the eugenic I think from the eugenics war just yeah. before however that plays out. Um, everyone's hospitable and nice to each other and then Khan decides he's going to take over the ship he um, falls in love with one of the crew members Kirk manage, uh, Kirk, it's Kirk, McCoy and Spock actually all together working together managed to overcome him like it's uh, like all together because he's too powerful it's not just Kirk bashing him although there is the scene at the end <laughs> but um, he's very magnanimous Kirk he's like I'm going to give you a planet we'll set you down here and uh, maybe we'll come back in a hundred years or so. I wonder. And and it's I think it's Kirk Spock that says, "I wonder what the what the seed's going to be uh, that's been placed mm. in there today. What kind of people are going to rise from here?" But you know what, Kirk's is a bit of a dick. He didn't go back and check up on them. No. I mean, fundamentally, if he had just checked up on them. Yeah, I don't think we wouldn't be, you, you wouldn't you be in this, this mess that he gets himself into you, here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then essentially what happens is is the, the barren planet that the uh, USS Reliant thinks it's investigating has actually exploded in the 15 years and knocked the planet that Khan was left on out of its orbit and left it this barren, lifeless rock. Um, yeah. And it's ultimately cost Khan his wife uh, in the process. And Khan has had however many, I think it's, I think he says it's like a year or so afterwards, so at least 10 to 14 yeah. years of, of of utter seething resentment for Kirk um, and realises <laughs> and then realises that um, yeah this could be an opportunity to get his revenge I, I you know what it's just what, what we're about what 30 minutes yeah no we're not even 30 minutes okay. into the film already and we've set up the film we've we've tricked the audience at least once we've given this is the great part This it's so good the writing where they've given the um, the fans something. So uh, Chekhov goes in and he turns, he puts his hand very naturally as he's looking at some books and he turns the, ha- uh, the, the buckle around and it says Botany Bay on there. And then he's like, Botany Bay? Oh my God, it doesn't take yes. him long to figure it out. Sorry, he's like, yeah, oh, yeah. we need to get out of here now. So he realises that before Khan reveals himself, doesn't he? Just, yeah. yeah. He goes, it's something, I think he says like, Botany Bay, about three times <laughs> in a row. And you're like, oh yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. Couple of questions. I always have this in Star Trek. Why don't they leave communication lines open? Maybe this is the reason that they now do. Mm. Uh, why didn't they just beam out straight from there? Maybe they couldn't because I, I, you know, it's fine. It's a movie. Don't ask too many questions. You know, you, know, you can do that. But I think it's 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 great, greatly played. It's just, I think more people should should watch this and analyze this as a movie, the script, the way it's put together. It's 110 minutes long, the whole movie, and it it, it as we said, it's it just zips along at a really nice pace. And it does so much. It does so much. 
I mean, and 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 quite frankly, um, the performance from Ricardo Montalban, who at the time was doing Fantasy Island and sort of like he's he's just the guy that unfortunately, probably because he's Hispanic, let's be honest about this, has been passed over, overlooked, pushed to one side. He's had a you know he's had a career better than most people, but he never really got to where this film shows the, what he could have could have been and what mm. he, what he what he should have been. I mean, like I mean, even in his opening moments in this film, yeah. he, he steals the scene like straight away. You're just like this this yeah. is a villain, like without a shadow of a doubt. And I think he mm. I think there's there's not really much room for discussion, but he's he's definitely the best of the Trek villains. I think if he's if he isn't the best, then he's definitely up there. And like from from the moment he the moment he walks into this scene and kind of reveals himself, like he is a, he is a presence. He's a he's a presence uh, on the same level as Shatner without a shadow of a doubt in terms of just just wanting to sort of chew up all the scenery and steal every scene that he's in. He absolutely does that here, um, <laughs> without a doubt. Which again, maybe, and again, maybe that's deliberate, deliberate on the part of the director just to find someone to uh, find someone to to shut down Shatner a little bit. But but then that makes well, yeah, yeah, perhaps you don't know. So there is actually a story. Uh, just because of this one, I've done a little bit more research um, on than I did for the last one. Quite frankly, it's going to show. <laughs> but um, I, I was watching into uh, one a little interview with um, with Nicholas Meyer, and he was saying he was really nervous about Ricardo Montalban more so than Shatner. I mean, I only heard the rumours about Shatner, but Ricardo Montalban. He was in awe of Ricardo mm. Montalban, and got him on set. And that was one of the first scenes. The whole this is set the Alpha Five scene. No, and he just did the whole thing like at the top of the range, massive, really loud. And he was, and so uh, Nicholas Myers like, okay, okay, let's go and get some food. Let's have a little chat in your trailer. And he sat him down on a trailer, and he said, "Listen, Larry Olivier he said, when acting to an audience, don't don't give them the top right away because there's nowhere else to go." And then Ricardo Montalban turned around and says, "Oh, oh, so you're going to direct me? Good, because <laughs> I need to be directed. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing." And then the two just became friends, and so. Yeah, yeah, it can't be overstated Nicholas Meyer's input on mm. this like how important he is and obviously the powers that be notice this later on um, it's it's a it's a great scene so we've got to that little little scene um, and then of course we get to the bit where um, what happens next we've when got they the space the, slug, does they get the phone call We've got the space slugs. Yeah, let's do the space. Yeah, let's talk space slugs. Yeah, so let's not miss the space slugs. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So then um, you get this quite this scene that has scarred me for life because I watched this. (laughs) Must have been. I was still fairly. Although it came out in '82, I probably watched it when I was ten or eleven for the first time. I think maybe, maybe a little oh. bit older. And the space slug scene is the best way I can describe it. It's fucking horrible. For, for yeah. like, there's no, yeah. there's no understating just how horrific that is. Like we talked uh, on the last episode about how dark the um, the transporter accident was in um, in the motion picture, but this this tops it. Like like uh, Khan is talking about the fact there's only one species native to this planet and it's this is horrible looking bug thing um, that has got like this you know, it's just creepy it's just creepy yeah. that has got like under its carapace armour has got its little the little babies that it creates from somewhere um, <laughs> and he picks these little slug things out and then He's kind of he's talking more. He's he's lecturing the he's lecturing um, Chekhov and the and the um, Reliant captain, um, 
lecturing the pair of them and he's just like yeah these uh, these space slugs they make you more suggestive to things they wrap yourself around the cerebral cortex I think or cerebral I think that's what he says and yeah. make you more suggestive to things and we can control people this way and then he just puts and then he just you just see these horrible close up slots of these things slivering into people's ears and it is some, oh. like something out of a horror film like it's and I was like okay this is dark <laughs> like yeah. this is yeah this is dark, and, it's, but, and, and as you get a real big stab of, of James Horner music, James Horner's flip flopping of styles here. I mean, mm. you've got the swashbuckling, sea, high seas adventure, but you've like you basically hear a bit of aliens or like get Jerry Goldsmith, who apparently you know he was friends with and sitting on in session, so it's, it's no wonder. But it's it's it really gets sold, doesn't it? And just like a little bit of rubber, segmented rubber on a bit of string into someone's ear and then the giant ear that's pretty ropey though but I think that's 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 to come the big ropey uh, ear scene but it is it's ugh. yeah now you got me creeped out just talking about it maybe yeah. that's why I tried to blanket it's it's ugh, ugh. It's horrible. It's horrible. Yeah, it is especially potent scene. But I think I think it's not there for the sake of it just being a, a horrible scene. I think it just sets up. It really sets up Khan. I think as a as a force to be reckoned with. Like, okay, this guy's this guy's not playing. Like, this is a this is a we've got a serious villain on our hands here. This isn't a probe sent from back from a, an alien planet. This is this is a real nasty piece of work. So I think they're kind of changing the game really in terms of in terms of the adversaries for sure. Um, which is which is good. I think it works really well. I think it's it's a great shot. Um, and then from there we cut back to now you may know this better than me we then cut back to the Enterprise um, and we cut to Kirk boarding the Enterprise now every time I watch this I feel this is an in joke I feel this looks exactly like the start of the six minute long scene where we tore the Enterprise in motion picture and I'm not sure if it isn't a deliberate like little nod to the first <laughs> film because it feels so much like that That I mean, and I, was, I remember watching it and I was just yeah. like are we going to do a six-minute tour of the Enterprise again? Because <laughs> it, it really, it really feels like that. So it, it isn't. It's over in about a minute, I think, this time. But it does. It certainly feels like it might be. I don't know. I might be uh, wrong. Well, <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely right. Not for the first time of them reusing a shot from a previous Star Trek film. <laughs> this will come up later. Um, they actually reused snippets from the first. I Star thought they Trek had film. done. Yeah. It, in fact, they use a lot from the first Star Trek film. You'll see, like for example, the scientist's uniform on 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 the regular space station is, especially the one his son wears, mm. is the same uniform that Kirk had. His casual Kirk outfit yeah. from the motion yeah. picture. <laughs> so there's a lot of re recycling done, and including, yeah, including the images. And uh, yeah, rather than the big loopy, they just go straight to the side dock, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Starboard dock or whatever Perhaps it is. What they should have done straight there around, and they're but... off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. So both of us, we watched the um, special edition as well. We should point this out. There's going to be things that we talk about. We should that, do, yeah. So watch slight the thing. first time I've seen the director's cut. I think it's, what, two or three minutes longer or possibly five minutes? I don't think there's a lot in it. No. No, it's just a little... And they've trimmed a, little they've, polishes they've trimmed a scene, linking things well. together yeah um, it's more sort of like Alien than Alien Special Edition Alien Special Edition isn't it it's just like they've sort of made the film a bit more cohesive and make a little bit more sense yeah arguably there are little bits and pieces I think they didn't really need tiny little lines said here and there but this is the scene where he comes on board and does his inspection of Scotty's um, uh, crew including his um engineer's first mate mm. which turns out to be his nephew which we sort of knew from the theatrical version but 
It's more explicit. Uh, it's explicitly yeah. said here. There's a bit of backstory g- given, so it makes a lot more sense for the scene that comes later on when Scotty, obviously, um, you know, w- when things go, when the shit hit, hits the fan, shall we say? Um, it's it's great. Yeah, it's got even just that the little tour of the ship. Um, I like the little bit when uh, Spock turns around and says to uh, Savick, "Have you ever?" Have you ever piloted a starship out of dry dock? Yeah. No. Well, there's a first time for everything, and you got. And then you Bones got, is next um, to Kirk, just going, "Do you need, oh, do you need something? Yes. Do you need something for this?" <laughs> <laughs> He's like, "No, no, no!" But clearly worried. It's really great scene. It, yeah, yeah, you're right. This really did feel like classic Star Trek. It really does. Yeah. It just has such a uh, such a whimsy. It doesn't it? Doesn't it takes itself seriously when it needs to? And when it not, and the humour in it is appropriate. Like this is what the characters would would be acting around each other. Yeah, like, I agree yeah. with that. If it was if it was genuine rather than kind of forced in just for the sake of putting humour yeah. in, um, absolutely. Um, and then we get um, I forget exactly. I say I say I forget. I've just watched it. I've literally just watched it. <laughs> and forgetting scenes. Um, so we get. I think at this point we get the Enterprise leaving leaving dock on the training mission because mm-hmm. Kirstie Alley takes it out of space dock. And then I'm sorry, we definitely get reused scenes from the motion picture here because I'm yeah, fairly yeah. confident yeah, yeah. the space dock leaving space dock is shot for shot uh, identical yeah. to leaving space dock in uh, in Star Trek the motion picture without including a doubt, including one of the astronauts falling down the side. Yeah. It's not like <laughs> yeah. they even used like an outtake. They just wholesale stealing yeah yeah Yeah, so the wholesale steal that um and then um yeah uh pick pick me up from there sorry i'm struggling a little bit here okay so then we um we we left space dock then we see space station regular one we see the scientists um going about their business they have a uh, intercom message from um the reliant from Chekhov, who is um acting really weird over the communication device he's saying that uh the planet planetoids checked out uh and they're going to come and pick up genesis to which they're like what no 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 no. this is civilian you can't have it anyway this wasn't the time i need proper authorization well i'm who, who authorized it well james t kirk and i click it off and khan's on the other side out of out of camera shot and Chekhov turns around, clearly mind warped by the creature, saying, "Well, you know they're going to get in touch with the admiral." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm, <laughs> yeah. what I'm planning on." And it's great because then we get them sending the the message to Kirk on the Enterprise or Caramarcus, and they're just sending enough, like the little bait bait in the hook to get Kirk interested. So it's 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 all logical, really well thought out. It's really hard to pull this movie apart. Mm. Um, and I think just before they get the message as well, there's I've got to say talk a little bit about uh, Kirsty Alley's performance as Savick. I think I think she's a wonderful actress, and she's great in the role in this. It's a real shame that she couldn't come along for the rest of the Star Trek journey. Um, and the little conversation that Savick has with with Kirk in the um, in the turbo lift about the Kobayashi Maru because it's really bothering. Like she's like, well, I've analysed it there's no way to win and, and Kirk's well that's the the whole point but as we find out and I and I thought I was being clever thinking oh this is his Kobayashi Maru but it's actually said in the film yeah so it's not that clever really um, obviously it, it becomes uh, Spock's Kobayashi Maru but um, 
you know little seeds of what the film's about being planted along all, all the time so they get the message um we sort of cut back from from Kirk trying to figure out what's going on to the scientists back at regular one discussing what to do um there's a little bit extra I think on this where the scientists go right pack up your bags we're leaving stuff like that mm. nothing really of, of of substantial um and then there's a really nice scene with Spock taking command rather more politely to his mate um Spock than than he did to uh, old old um a will in the last yeah. um, motion picture um but Spock obviously tells him no like I've got no ego to bruise you're obviously better at this than than I am take command and this is your friend this is the point I think where he says the needs of the out the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few is it not yeah yeah which yes. is one of yeah. the all-time great Star Trek lines <laughs> and and I have always been your friend yeah. as well so there's like a whole they're just they're setting up the pins drop really and it's just and it doesn't feel forced it's clearly natural conversation to have the two actually look like they really like each other's company which apparently at the time they weren't that keen on each other okay so even more of a remarkable sort of performance um, um, where, and there's a there's a point where they need to um, need to understand uh, Genesis don't they uh, we're, we're skipping something, aren't we? What are we skipping? Um, so, um, yeah, it, Tricks Kirk to see what's coming it, it on. It does cut back and forward very fast. Like, the scenes are like one or two minutes, and just they're really economical how they go. So, yeah, this is, um, yeah, so the scenes skip forward here. At this point, when I started when I started to watch it, a complete side note on this one. So, um, Kirk and Spock have a conversation where they're going to go to, um, go to the space station and see what's going on and investigate why the Reliant and Chekhov is asking for the Genesis product to be handed over to them. Um, Kirk Kirk then um, sits down in. Kirk then takes Bones and Spock into a room, um, at, unlocks exactly what Project Genesis is, um, and mm -hmm. shows them what Project Genesis is. At this point, when I watched it twice, when uh, uh, Kirk asked for access to Project Genesis, Alexa started listening and then pulled up Project Genesis on a search screen on my TV no. twice in a row, which creeped me the fuck That's out. I'll be honest. So Alexa, at this point, after this point, was muted, um, but that tried to tell me what Project Genesis was, and then also, but then it came up with Star Trek. Picard uh, on the search screen so that was uh, a bizarre side note <laughs> okay <laughs> so All right. maybe uh, maybe someone paid for that yeah or maybe Amazon's <laughs> working on Project Genesis um, but <laughs> hey ho um, so anyway sorry so yeah so Kurt basically reveals to um, Bones and McCoy what uh, Bones and Spock what um, Project Genesis is um Spock's like fascinating like what an incredible piece of technology Bones is Bones and he's just like no this could be used as a weapon in the wrong hands like we've we are not gods we do we just should not have the power of gods and you've got that brilliant like Star Trek it's almost like it's almost like the, the if you look at the way new, the, the power of the atom was harnessed like it was designed to be used for good and it was turned into this terrifying weapon it's not a subtle yeah. comparison to be fair yeah. um and Bones is like no no this no this is not necessarily a good idea this can't can't fall into the wrong hands like this absolutely not absolutely not we need to just make sure whatever happens to this we need to do something about this so kind and he's of got that great line as well hasn't he like um oh in the bible it took six days to yeah. Make yeah. well watch out listen we can do it for you in six minutes yeah. <laughs> absolutely really, doctor your emotions will be your undoing yeah just, uh, uh, yeah it. and again it's like Classic. it's the three of them just 
on on top form. I think absolutely playing mm. off against each other re- really really well. It's good, uh, and the way the Spock sort of Spock sort of uh, denigrating eyebrow that he raises towards Bones is always <laughs> is always entertaining. To be fair, so um, yeah, so there's, there's that great scene there. Um, so the Enterprise makes for um, regular space station. Um, which case we could we cut back to Khan, um, who at this point comes out with the Klingon proverb um, that kind of he's discussing with his hench with his kind of Mad Max style henchmen uh, about what he's going to do and why why he wants why he wants Kirk. Um, this is where the kind of the seeds of doubt I think start to be planted by his henchmen. Like actually that we could just take Genesis and go, um, and we've got yeah. ge- whatever Genesis is we've got it. Like we could take Genesis and go. Do you really need to go after Kirk? Like at, th- at this point, is this really what you need to do? So then you get a sense that like this is he's just been driven by revenge um for his you know for for the last however 10 15 years he's been driven for revenge driven by revenge um and this is where this is another one of the great lines of dialogue in the film where um khan quotes the klingon proverb that revenge is a dish best served cold um (laughs) and the enterprise the enterprise basically arrives in the vicinity on the way to regular space station the enterprise arrives in the vicinity of the space station is confronted by the uss reliant uh, whose shields are down they're claiming the communications aren't working so they don't hear anything from the USS Reliant which at this point Khan is in control of because he's marooned the crew on SETI Alpha 5 um, mm-hmm. the Enterprise thinking uh, Kirk thinks okay it's a friendly ship we don't need to raise our shields uh, Savek says maybe we should raise shields because comms are down uh, and at this point yeah. Kirk probably should have listened because um, and again the first time you watch it you don't see this come in because Khan absolutely sucker punches the Enterprise yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah. nearly destroys it like very nearly destroys it certainly cripples the Enterprise with uh, with a surprise attack um, catches everyone off guard and at this point you're just like okay this where's this going this is cool like this is Kirk may have met his match here this is this is brilliant like and that is that start of, and then so it bounces backwards and forwards. Khan taunts Kirk because he wants. He's basically he's basically taunting him. He wants. He basically wants to kill him. There's nothing else Khan really wants apart from to get his revenge on Kirk at this point. And he said he's going to cripple him. Then he's going to come around and strike the killing blow. The one benefit, the one advantage Kirk's got is that he's got. He knows the activation code that can disable the reliant ship. So they kind of they sneakily whilst having whilst having their back to the camera, <laughs> um, yeah. sneakily go right. We're going to send you. We're going to send you exactly what Genesis is. Uh, we're going to tell you what Genesis is. Um, and what they do instead is they broadcast the code that lowers the shields of the reliant. The Enterprise returns fire and pretty much cripples the reliant. And this is where like the brilliant game. I'm just like okay, I know where this is going now. This is going to be a game of cat and mouse with with Khan and Kirk trying to outwit each other and this is really sets the tone of the film and, and for me that comes the heart of the film is they're they're just trying to outfox each other constantly um, and they're two and this is where you say about this is where the, I think the start of the, certainly the naval comparison starts you've got basically two crippled ships essentially um, running incredibly incredibly slowly um, yeah. not able to power up to full weaponry and this game of cat and mouse starts which I even think even at the beginning when, when they pull again pull up against each other and they're like oh it's a it's a friendly ship it's all fine it's like the pirates and we like just put ran up a flag of mm. you know the british flag and they're running their guns out and uh, and, and, and the way it's fired it's like the like, the phasers come out the side and rip down the side i mean the, the model work in this is phenomenal mm. the way that the models are are, are ripped uh the, the carnage inside the it really does feel like there's like how are they going to get out of this because the enterprise is really dealt a heavy heavy blow mm. and, and 
and and the good thing with Kirk is that he says himself that you know he was just caught with his britches down and Savick keep quoting regulations at me because I need to be spoken at he's but again harking back to uh, the motion picture he's he's experienced he's he, he hasn't like he he doesn't have the space hours he's a bit rusty and it shows right at the beginning here and then he starts getting back into the groove mm. uh, a little bit more with yeah lowering the shields and and uh, sending over the I don't know the bridge com codes whatever they are um, it's a great little sequence and again again with the writing they explain what they're doing because Savick's the audience character there yeah. like, there's always an audience character there but they are logically explaining to Savick who obviously is there to learn to be a Starfleet officer so it makes perfect sense that they would ex- exposition mm. her and it just again it just sounds so natural you know it's 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 great and then there's a, I, I love this little tiny little shot of it's the only POV that I can think of in Star Trek where Khan's like Ray Shields Ray Shields where, where, where's, the, where's the button to fire the phasers yeah. <laughs> where, 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 where's the where, and you just see what he sees and he's just scanning around like in, in his hubris and his anger uh, he's he, he's just arrogant and he's overlooking things and and as as you know as Kirk says it's it's just he managed to get away because he knew something that Khan didn't he might not be so lucky the next time which is a little line thrown in during the aftermath mm. um, so you got the Reliant limping away because the henchman who's called we should talk about him a little bit. Uh, the hench Ratha Khan's henchman it's really sad this it is called uh, Awaken um, it's not spelled the same as Awaken Phoenix he was Khan's henchman the, the guy that grabs him says you can't I'll yeah. everything's down he's, he's like the foil to Khan he's he's like Khan's bones so almost isn't he he's like he's obviously been with him a long time and it's a really nice dynamic but that um, that actor in that unfortunately uh, it's called Judge and Scott who was really you, know, you saw him a lot in little bit parts on TV and everything. He had a dispute with the um, production company, with Paramount, not him specifically, but his agent uh, over his billing, right, on his name on the credits. And obviously, he's not going to look. Maybe it's with hindsight. Obviously, his name's not going to be up there with the main cast. I mean, Ricardo Montalban's was right after all the cast, mm. like he was down the list even. And um, for some reason. Maybe it was a bluff. He was saying, "Well, if you don't put me up there, I want you to take my cre- my names off the credits," and they did. Wow! Okay. So he said, un- "He's uncredited. Okay. He's uncredited that. in that role," which is why when you look through it, you're like, "Well, who who is he?" And um, just yeah, just one of those those little things. Um, but I think he's great in this, and he's really needed throughout. Like the whole way, he's he's com- obviously completely loyal, and he's just thinking like. If you just like the crew of the Nostromo, if you listen to Ripley, you would have been fine. Yeah. <laughs> if Khan, if you listen to your mate Whack him, you would have been fine. But yeah, ultimately, you know? I think that, that what yeah, if you'd listened to him, he'd have won. Like ultimately, yeah. he at every at every point up until the end of the film, he's got Kirk bested. Um, he's, he's got he's got the element of surprise. If he did, if he wasn't gloating, I mean, he could have finished off the Enterprise here, but rather than going for the killing shot, he decides to gloat more um, and kind of and kind of taunt and taunt Kirk, which is what gives Kirk the opportunity to send the codes back and lower the shield so um, I mean, he does ask for the Genesis device doesn't he so oh, at this point true. he yeah. knows what Genesis is yeah. and and we find out after the scene that uh, he's been searching for Genesis because he he uses the little bugs in the ears of the of, of Chekhov and, and the captain 
of the Reliant to find out what Genesis is about, etc., etc. So the, like the initially, it seems like they're not really interested in Genesis other than a narrative device or, or a device to get Kirk into the game. Mm. Uh, but there's clearly another plan going on yeah. because he wants a Genesis device. So what, what down the road is he going to try and take over the entire galaxy of the universe? And it, it another interesting thing. I know I'm jumping around a little bit here, but the way I, I, there's a lot of parallels in in many ways to the characters in um, in Star Trek Picard. He had. Uh, Patrick Stewart saying he didn't want to play the same character he wanted to play a character that was 20 years older etc etc I think he really should have looked at what Multiban did he's got, he even said himself he'd like forgotten how he played him he was just playing him as one of his TV characters had to go back and watch what he was doing to remember what he was thinking to do that and then add the other layer of 15 years of him going mad so it's the same character mm. But it's, it's a logical extension. It's not like a massive sort of jump. And he clearly is going mad. And we don't completely... Like, it becomes very obvious at the end. He's completely batshit crazy. Yeah. But he um, he's, he's just seems arrogant and and, and obsessed at, at the moment. But there seems the seeds of another plan. plan. Whether you notice that subconsciously or, or consciously... That's what I'm talking about—the tight writing, like the way it flicks back and forward, a minimal amount of exposition needed that propels the story forward. Um, so the um, Reliant limps off, the Enterprise um, limps to the regular one space station. This is around. Where, is this not around where we get the scene where the first the engineering mate dies? Um, and Kurt, you've got oh, that yeah, let's not, let's not forget that, got that incredible yeah. scene where he reaches out to Scotty's in bits, uh, understandably so. Um, and he's got that, you've got that incredible scene where he reaches out and just smears blood on Kirk's uniform, which I think is yeah. a great touch. And you've just got that smear of blood on the otherwise like immaculate white of his uniform. I thought that yeah. was a really, it's got quite a subtle touch, but a, but a really, yeah. really good touch to go, okay, yeah, this is, there's been some, there's some big consequences here. Like, this is bad. <laughs> like, Definitely. And, and because they've laid the seeds, more appropriately, I think, um, than in the theatrical version where they've actually introduced the character as Scotty's nephew and explicitly yeah. said it. I think that was very that was needed because it and, makes and more they sense. Get a bit, it makes yeah. more sense when Scotty arrives on the bridge, just holding his nephew like that. For, for me, yeah. always felt a bit like, would they do that? Yeah. Like, would why? Yeah. Like, it, make, it makes more sense. I think it's it's more weight to this scene for sure. Yeah, definitely. And the longer conversation, I mean, the the guy that that actually plays. Um, to for, um, Scotty's uh, nephew, he gets a little bit more screen time yeah. here. I think, or like his actual dying scene, they actually hold the camera on mm. him and see him die. Like it, it's a much more respectful cut than the actual fan for the family. And there's a little bit on the end where you get to see a conversation between. Well, you get uh, you get Scotty's reaction. To his nephew's death, which in the theatrical is like, okay, right, I'm gonna. That's they just cut it off. But on here, he really gets to emote to to express some emotion, and then Kirk has to go. Look, I'm really sorry to ask this, but can you get the engines back online? Yeah, because we need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll get on it. And then Scotty, and then Bones and Jim have a little conversation, where Jim basically says, I don't know if I'm up to this. I just fucked up. Like, I nearly got everyone killed because. I, the, uh, this is the part where he says yeah, I only got out of it because yeah. um, I knew something that Khan didn't know um, 
and there's a man I haven't seen in 15 years trying to kill me like you really see like he's floundering a little bit and it's just a nice little touch really really nice it's it's a good cut this director's cut mm. I have to say it's, it's one of the more respectful of the original material and of um, of what they were trying to do um, it is yeah it's a great little scene and he's really good in it as well like um, James Stewart in that scene he doesn't get a lot of good scenes unfortunately in Star Trek I mean the next generation episode when he turns up and he has an older episode to him it's delightful yeah but other than that he's uh, it's a shame but um, yeah but it's good so they, they yeah you're right after this they get down to the regular one space station they get on the transporter pads because Savick notices uh, no they get down to regular one space station they've just got enough power to beam over um, they start searching and this is when it turns into a horror movie again mm. James Horn is sort of weird creepy alien-esque yeah uh, theme comes out and it is really I remember being a kid watching this and when Bones finds the first body like you know he's backing away into darkness into something and then he bangs into the hat, the bloody hand and there's bodies hanging around that freaked me out as much as the, the, the ear thing mm. did as a little kid it's, <laughs> um, and it, I was quite su- surprised by how it's it's really brutal like can't torture them to death what, and what they find Chekhov and the captain Clark Terrell that's it been, yeah Captain Terrell sorry yeah Captain Terrell yeah. all the time yeah. I looked it up um, rather than calling him for the captain for the rest of the episode <laughs> yeah. I was like because people would be going sorry uh, why is Paul on this show yeah. I thought he was supposed to be a fan that's not the captain I think he <laughs> found his Captain Terrell so uh, yeah I apologise listeners it's Captain Terrell <laughs> yeah and if in the rest of the podcast it sounds like the uh, the names have been uh, just just all placed in over us calling him captain it's not we we, we, yeah. we, we knew all the time we never right do the such beginning. a thing yeah <laughs> no um, they're found in a in a cargo container of sorts um, and when I first watched this as a kid I always thought that's ah, really shit acting right but seeing it a bit older you're like oh well they are acting shit because they're not actors mm. they're Starfleet officers being told to act and they just obviously they've got things in their ear controlling them and it's just really Ugh, it's, it's just a creepy scene but really nice that Savick's got a lot you know she doesn't have a hell of a lot to do but she has some important bits and she's crucial to quite a few little bits here and this is one of the things where she's the one that notices that there are coordinates which lead to inside the planetoid that the space station is gets its name from and is orbiting um, and Kirk realises that stage two was going to be underground so this is where they must have gone to Bones says they paid for Genesis with the life upstairs they were buying time because all the the, the, the um, transporter consoles all left on isn't it um, so there was no one left or left behind to uh, switch the machine off and Khan in his rage and his hubris didn't bother to check any further um, but again, like an, uh, almost the throwaway line, he was in a rush to to meet you. So almost like the Enterprise arriving interrupted it. It's like yeah. everything's got a logical reason why Khan didn't just walk downstairs. It's just yeah. Again, I'm, I'm going to sound definitely sound like a broken record. No, I agree with you, and I think it's yeah. And again, it's what makes the character of Khan so successful because again, and, and, and again, I'm repeating myself here. Here's another moment that if he hadn't gone after Kirk, he'd have won again. There's so many moments. There's so many moments in this film where he would have been victorious had he not been had he not been completely swallowed up by revenge, um, like w- without a doubt. Um, 
absolutely um which yeah. which is great um and at this point so uh so yeah so khan khan runs away um khan has escaped at which point does do they they then have a conversation at which point khan does steal genesis around this point doesn't he no i think what happens if they have a conversation with spock first this and, is and spock calls in and he says if we were like Lieutenant Savick and went by the book hours would seem like days yes, this is where the game could. of cat and mouse escalates like big time yeah. and you know typical Kirk doesn't tell the rest of the audi- rest of the audience or his crew what's going on which is good obviously narratively wise makes total sense and um nothing you, like I didn't get that as a kid no you, you like to think you're really smart and you'd get it but I didn't get it as a kid and no. calm with his so hubris made I maybe, think he he says, Spock says to him, oh, it would take two days to, I think it's two days to repair the Enterprise. Yeah. And they kind of, basically, they spin a whole load of bullshit because they've got an idea that Khan might be listening at this point. Yeah. Um, and they, they sp- basically spin a yarn. And this is where the game of cat and mouse escalates, where you think, okay, like, yeah, then obviously the more I watch it now, I know that now. So yeah. it's, you know, you, you go into it knowing that. But it's a very cool moment. Yeah. And if that had happened after Khan had taken, like, it, it, all the pieces happen in the right order as well. So from that, I believe they had the conversation before they beamed down. I might be wrong on that. They beam down. They find the Genesis device in a tunnel. They get attacked by two scientists. That's it, yeah. Um, one is um, one of the scientists is played by Metric uh, Buttrick that, that died really young. Really good actor. Really good casting, I think. Really does look mm. like the son of Kirk. Yeah. And Kirk, Kirk knows he's the son yeah. or the father. Um, David is, is the character let's use their proper names um, there's a little bit of a scuffle um, B.B. Besh turns up Carol, Carol Marcus turns up says oh calm down calm down and Kirk's obviously not the one that, that tortured our friends at which point Captain Terrell and uh, Chekhov pull out their phasers and their communicator and Terrell starts speaking to Khan saying have you been listening to this the communicator's been open the whole time and he's like yes I have they beam up the the Genesis device. Um, no, they first of all they tr- they get told to kill Kirk, don't they? It's like bef- yeah. Now you got to kill. And this is where again it's like one of those plot things. You're like, okay, this this susceptible to how to what sort of degree? But it sort of makes sense. Like they they wouldn't go maybe against their their core beliefs, like murdering mm. someone. Like Terrell yeah. clearly he's struggling with it. He's trying to kill. Kirk. He doesn't know Kirk, so it probably wasn't that much of a struggle and then like commit suicide yeah, on the kill setting himself. and yeah. this is it's just ho- the sound of being killed by a phaser is horrible I think this is the first time that <laughs> yeah. it's just it's like that, that echoey scream is like the, t- the transport it's like it's not, you don't just oh you're dead and it's done it's a painless death it's clearly painful being disintegrated it's horrible yeah. it's, it's really really spooky and it's probably the first time I've listened to this for a while on a decent stereo system as well. So it's just like the, the sound work in this is, is just amazing. Chekhov then gets very um, agitated and has a migraine or what, you know, space migraine, falls down. And then that's when we get the giant ear and the slug coming out of the ear, mm. who's now grown as well. I know, I'd, I'd noticed that it's a different stage of the lava. It's got yeah, it's a little bit bigger. So maybe that's something a bit more familiar down. to the. It's a bit like the creature that was. That they were introduced as yeah it looks a bit more like mummy now doesn't it than, yeah. than the larvae um, yeah and that's just equally horrible <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, 
But, you know, it still holds up today, that glue. Just a little rubbery rub puppet and a giant ear. Um, it, 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 it works. And motivates Kirk. Khan just takes the Genesis device. And then for the first time, Khan does the sensible thing, really. He's like, no, I'm just going to leave yeah. you there. I'm going to maroon you like, like you left me. Buried alive. Buried alive. And then you have that incredible moment where Kirk gets very angry with Khan yeah. and then screams out and you can hear it in orbit yeah <laughs> which is one which yeah. is a brilliant moment an absolutely brilliant moment I think it's twice he just goes Khan Khan <laughs> <laughs> again that's just great sound design like logically it doesn't make any sense but it's a metaphorical no. thing isn't it like it's just it's like the western someone screaming someone's name in the canyon or, or what. it's just it's delightful and, and I guess it's like the first time that Khan's listened to his henchman on this time he's like yeah that's it sweet revenge it's poetic justice so to speak um, uh, and they obviously go off to do whatever it is they, they're going to do um, I don't really know exactly what they what, what are they what are they doing at this point no, I, I'm with you yeah. on that one. They're kind of like the the reliant just disappears. The Khan just takes the reliant, I guess, to the side of a. I think they go. I think they no, they go after the Enterprise, don't they? They go. They go back to the space station to try and find the Enterprise, and they realise the Enterprise isn't there because Khan just goes, "Where is she?" Yeah. <laughs> and I think at this point, this is where you this is where you realise that um, Kirk and Spock have duped Khan because they had a feeling you might be listening the whole time, and the Enterprise isn't isn't where it should be. Um, and then at this point they ended up getting because you think they're marooned there but actually it turns out the Enterprise is in a lot better state than you think it is and they end up being well, before the we get planet, that I, I, we, we first get a glimpse of what Genesis is capable of yes capable sorry of, yeah we get a moment so, which is in my so we have the reuniting of, of, of Kirk and Carol Mark yes who had a relationship again sparse language but like their acting sells it and the dialogue like when were we ever going to be an item like a uh, were they married? They clearly weren't married. They had an affair. They had a son, and it makes sense because Kirk was told. He said, "I did what you said. I stayed away," and it sounded again. It, this is one of those conversations that sounds like two people talking to each other, and we're we're just listening mm. in, trying to pick up the the conversation. And I don't know. Does he know? This is the question of the whole film. At what point does David know that Kirk's his dad? Does he know the whole time? Or I don't think he knows the whole time. I think he comes to the realization. I think he comes to realization during the film. To be honest, um, yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't think he knows for the whole film. To be fair, I might be. I might be mistaken. I don't think it's. it's hmm. Don't know. It's kind it's of unclear. Isn't it's it? kind of nice that it's unclear, but also you, yeah, yeah. And then this is the point where you get to the moment that I've just. I've written in my notes in front of me. It just says Genesis works! Exclamation <laughs> mark. <laughs> oh, it's just. It's a beautiful. A series of map paintings, yeah. and uh, it's a nice reveal as well. Where Bones says, "Oh, we thought this was Genesis," yeah. and Carol Marcus is like, "No, this took ten months. A team, a core of Starfleet engineers, took ten months to do, dig this out. We, uh, what we did in there, we did in a day." Yeah. And they walk out there, and after Kirk's little conversation about how old he feels and uh, the expositionary sort of dump, really. Um, about him and Carol's relationship um, again he knows he's holding those cards as you said he knows that, that, that Spock has been exaggerating and whilst waiting for the Enterprise to do her repairs in two hours not two days 
um, is a good opportunity for Savick again to find out how Kirk beat the um, Kobayashi Maru. The Kobe yeah. uh, Kobayashi Maru. And it turns out he won by cheating. <laughs> and David says he cheated. He did. And and Kirk's like, well, well I got commendation for it. Yeah. <laughs> had the benefit of no one else had thought of it before. You know, um, I don't believe in a no-win situation. And Savick's like, well, you've never faced death, have you? You know, and it's like, oh, okay, here we go. There's the, that, that's how you do it. That's how you do the seeds. That's how you plant mm. them. You don't need to do like a flashback to something or whatever. You just pepper the dialogue as nicely as that and as as you said that's the moment where he flicks over the communicator apple in hand cocky as fuck <laughs> Spock what do you got and they beam aboard yes and as they're beaming aboard they still have the conversation and it's you're only hearing the heart the last half of it because apparently you can communicate I don't know if you can if they started the conversation during the beaming process I'm, I'm assuming it's not during it but they sort of continue it as they're reforming which I think is a nice touch the sound really sells that as well um, and Kirk saying, "Yeah, by the book. What what does the book say? Regulation, blah blah blah. Says, oh, when um, when communicating over un, over an unsecure channel, talk with code. Yeah. Basically, she says it much more eloquently than I can. And uh, yeah, and then she turns to Spark. Well, you lied. Yeah, which I've like, always what? yeah. Like, no, I exaggerate. Like, he's human. He's actually that's that's yeah. such a human yeah. side of Spock. But it is a nice moment because yeah. no one like yeah. it's just her surprise that he lied. <laughs> it's yeah. like... And it's a bit of a shame as well because, like, <clears throat> with she's supposed to be like in canon wise, she's supposed to be half Romulan and half Vulcan. But in this film, that was cut out. Mm. It's a very short scene. So in this, I've always thought she was just, just. You know, just just Vulcan. Um, so is is I don't know, maybe a bit of a blip. Like, surely she would know about emotion, but they play. You know, it's not in the film, so it's not in the film. Um, and if she, Romulan's been very the passionate antithesis of of the Vulcans, mm. um, but it's but it's good. Again, she's serving as the conduit for the audience, and it's just played really well. I really am starting to sound like a, a record. So <laughs> the so nothing's working below B deck. They've got climb ladders and turbo shafts and Jeffrey's tubes. That's cut in the director's cut. Um, that bit's missing. I yeah, think. That, yeah, yeah. That bit's taken out, which I think is just it just tightens up the pace a bit. I think. Yeah. That's the one bit I did notice was missing actually. There's one scene where he's climbing up the ladder, and it seems to be all ADR. Where he says, "Oh, that kid's my my son, by the way." And Spock goes, "Fascinating." You're like, like, did you need that? Yeah. Did you like it? Just some of the the bits that dropped in mm. feel really ham fistedly dropped in. Like, like I, I don't know what it is about them. I can see why they cut them initially. Yeah, and they get back on the bridge, and it turns out that the Enterprise is is functioning much better than he's led Khan to believe, and um, they're on one side of the planetoid. Khan's on the other side of the planetoid. So at this point, um, yeah, thank you for thank you for picking up the bit I missed there. Um, so, Khan arrives back at um, the, re the regular space station, um, and they realizes that the Enterprise is actually a. It's not there. Like, where is it? Then they realize the Enterprise 
isn't as damaged as they thought it was. Uh, Khan gets excited at the prospect of uh, Khan gets excited at the prospect of, of a showdown with Kirk again. Um, and although the Enterprise isn't as damaged as they thought it was, the Reliance still outguns them and can still outpace them, which is discussed. Mm-hmm. The Enterprise do discuss. So um, it turns out um, conveniently for the incredible set piece coming up that they are very close to a, ne- a nebula, um, and so what they realise is although the Enterprise that isn't able to raise shields and the Reliant is um, Kirk makes the decision to take the Enterprise into a nebula knowing full well that uh, Khan will pursue him once they're in the nebula the Reliant can't raise its shields and basically the ships are on even footing at this point so it's just like okay well if we fly into a nebula we haven't got shields and I think Bone says it to him like well you can't see the ship like you won't you won't have scanners we won't have this and Kirk's almost just like like neither will they <laughs> it's like kind of well it's it's uh was it a spot that goes source for the goose Mr. Yeah. Sally <laughs> yeah. the odds will be even yeah. <laughs> and as a kid I was like I don't get that no. I actually look, had to look that phrase up and ask someone when I was a kid I was like I don't get yeah. it source for the goose what's he talking about <laughs> I, I for years I thought that was a misquote because Star Trek does that sometimes doesn't it, it like because the, obviously it's a, you know, 300 years in the future and sometimes they get their facts wrong mm. like double damn on on you and stuff like the yeah. colourful metaphor yeah. sort of thing they don't know how to swear I always thought that was just like a they just got the the thing wrong, but no, they didn't. Little little side note about little. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and also, like you said, like you, you said that they um, and it's right that the reliance sensors are working, mm. but they weren't working well enough to see the Enterprise on the other side of the um, planetoid. No. But the Enterprise could see the Reliant on the other side of the planetoid. I don't know if they you can know, like, or whether he just takes a guess that he's there. I think if I remember, oh, maybe. yeah, I think they do mention that like oh, he could be hiding anywhere. And they kind of well, there's a graphic. There's a graphic that they show. Oh of, yeah, there of is two yeah. dots going around the planet yeah. before they make the decision to go to uh, the Matara Nebula. But that's it's the mere USS Reliant. Yeah. It's not the Enterprise. Yeah. It's so you know. For me, like what I picked, what three holes so yeah. far in this whole movie, and we're nearly through it. Yeah. It's remarkable. Yeah. It's remarkable that we got this far. So yeah, so they they retreat. The Enterprise retreats into the Nebula, assuming that Khan will follow. Again, this is another moment where um, Joaquin's character says to Khan, he's like don't do it you can't get your shields up um, and then at this point at this point the, the you think Khan's going to listen the Reliant begins to drop speed mm. and then Kirk just radio just basically picks up the phone to Khan starts winding <laughs> him up <laughs> like, yeah. he's like right yeah. well he's definitely going to come after me now because I'm giving I'm give, just starts giving him loads of grief over the communications winds <laughs> him up and he's like right then he's definitely following me now so they um, Khan demands they uh, proceed into the nebula um, and then you have both ships in the nebula both ships are heavily damaged and you get, for me, just oh, such an incredible. This just starts such an incredibly. Uh, it's a very, very patient, really, really well put together. Um, essentially, naval battle. Like this goes back to what you were saying about the naval influences. And like the moment you said that, it it, it, all, it all twigs for me. But this is such a is such a measured, patient set piece that probably shouldn't be exciting because of the pace that it moves at. So they can't they can't see each other. It's all about outmaneuvering each other. Um, and the fact they they, ha- they can't see each other. They at one point the Enterprise lines up behind the Reliant, they take pot shots at the they take pot shots at the Reliant, they miss, they cause some damage. The Reliant then kind of outmaneuvers the Enterprise and takes pot shots back, there's damage done back. And it is very much like a almost like a game of battleships at this point I think would be would be the way to describe it and it's a really just a really really well done set piece and then um, Spot makes some comments that okay um, Khan's intelligent but he's not experienced which I think is a great line it's just like although Khan's like this super intelligent sort of superhuman or genetic genetically improved human being 
he's not he's not the crew of the Enterprise. Like he's not an experienced he's not an experienced um, ship captain. Um, and yeah, just this set piece. This set piece is is just absolutely superbly done. I think um, just just so well handled, so well handled. Such beautiful model work. This was yeah. done by uh, Industrial Light and Magic. They were just coming off of, I believe, um, Empire Strikes Back at the time, and they. They were still fairly small at this time. They weren't like the massive powerhouse they are now. And the three films, I've got to look at my notes for this. The three films that they were working on at this time was Poltergeist, E.T., and this. Right. So that's the three shows they had going on at the time. Um, this is obviously just before Return of the Jedi. Um, it's just incredible. Like if you consider how small the budget is and what they and how they made it. Like today, there'd be CG, there'd be CG laser bolts, and there'd be you know cloud particle physics effects in a computer but this the way that they did do you know anything about like the the way they made the cloud this is fascinating no, no. I, I find um it's a massive tank right. like a fish tank basically but huge and they put salt water in the bottom um and then they put a layer of perspex or glass and then on the top they put another uh, cold water uh, fresh water on, on on top I think they put something in between they might not have done it might just been the difference in the salinity of the water and then they pumped in different fluids uh, like the cloud effects in in close encounters that go around the, the, the devil's tower yeah. is milk okay. poured into a tank shot from oh, underneath wow, okay. so this is the same sort of thing or like um the fountain the effects in the fountain were done in a similar way but that was done with microscopic stuff this is macro yeah. so a massive big tank different colored fl fluids and liquids and and filmed over cranked so it would move differently and fast and because they had the two layers that's how they got the parallax going right and that's the background for the ships and then they make the ships which are shot on rigid basically rigid poles and the cameras move on tracks and they have to sh sh move the cameras several times, like one pass for the model itself, one pass for the map, which is the bit that holds out the picture, so that it's 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 solid, not transparent against the background. Another part for the lights, another part for this, another part for that, so, and that all these elements come together, including the background, run through this massive printer, an optical printer, that does what a computer does, what After Effects does in like five minutes flat like the layers in Photoshop, all of this thing has to be timed at the perfect time, run through this machine, and then a strip of film comes out at the end with it all right. And if one piece is out, you scrap it, and you've got to do the whole wow, thing okay. again. It's just phenomenal what they the, the work they did. I think they used an optical printer on this. They might have just done it in, like, I, would, I imagine they used the optical printer because they were using... Um, massive 65mm uh, films Vista Vision which they got on the cheap because no one was filming with them and used them for special effects and then they became really expensive you know, collector's items so to speak but the, it's, it's all mechanical mm. the model work is, is in, in this is phenomenal they're, they're pretty big models for the laser shots against, or the phaser shots against the side of the model they built as big as possible the the models on the side because flames don't look right at a smaller scale no. they had several different sizes of Enterprise and Reliance at different sizes and the Reliant itself which we've not talked about they wanted a different um, model type from the Enterprise so the, the silhouettes would be instantly recognisable right um, and the placement of the lights, etc., the way the model was dressed would be different. But the way when the design was handed over to the producers, 
they looked at the design and signed it off, but they signed it off upside down. <laughs> okay. So there's oh, the Reliant so, yeah. initially was supposed to look. If you turn the Reliant upside yeah. down, it looks not too dissimilar from the Enterprise in parts. Yeah, yeah. it looks almost like the the first Enterprise yeah. NX, uh, whatever from um, the Enterprise TV series, doesn't it? It's, it's yeah. very sort of compact, isn't it? Um, but I think yeah, w- one of those happy little accidents, like a lot of the events in this movie that, that are around the production of it, that it works better. Mm. And then suddenly, and it's also showing you, unlike the TV series, which had just had one model for all the ships, yeah. there's different types of ships for different types of purposes. Yeah. And this is the research vehicle. Ah, um, oh, I'm totally with you. Like the, it's just amazing. It's a special effects thing. I always found amazing mm. that it was just you know liquid in a tank, but. And the storytelling, the fact that you've got, they're not even looking at each other through the same view screen but, or, they're, mean, to, or they're being fed by radios. Is, they're think, totally different performances. But I think this, this is the time to bring it up and this is the one thing I really wanted to say. So before I'll, I'll finish, wrap up where the set piece goes and then I'll, yeah. I'll say what I wanted to say. So then you have this brilliant moment where they have a discussion. They go, okay, he might be intelligent, but he's not a tactician. Like we can, we can, out, we can do better tactics on this. Um, and he looks over and he kind of and they, they have this conversation and then they basically they just bring they bring the Enterprise to a full stop and then they real and then he realizes they realise that right they've got him, they've got Khan now, because Khan kind of overshoots. You have this incredible moment where he's like, Fire and then they just <laughs> and my god, do they fuck up the Reliant at this point? <laughs> like, yeah. It's Chekhov, isn't it? Fire in the phone. Yeah, and, it, yeah, and che- yeah. It was yeah. just like yeah, they and then they, they mess up the Reliant in a big, big way. And you're like, right, yeah. they've got him. They've got him. But before we go on with the story, what the one thing the one thing I've been eager to say is and this is not something I really noticed the first time I watched this film. Khan and Kirk don't actually share any screen time, yet their their rivalry is incredible. And that, as you say, has got to be down to the strength of the writing here. Like, there's there's not a moment... They don't share any screen time together at all. And maybe I don't know whether that's maybe because they were... Whether it's a happy accident that we're just worried about a clash of egos on set, I don't know. Um, but No, it's a budgetary thing. The Reliance set is the Enterprise set, redressed. Is that why? Yeah. Wow, and they, okay. Like, you would think, like, to... like how I would do it how it was probably done today was they would have you know you actors feed each other lines and stuff but Ricardo Montalbond came on did his lines well didn't even act with Shatner which is crazy when you consider how and well Shatner they both against him, yeah. each other so Montalbond he, he was saying he's doing these lines to uh, one of the script um, uh, one of the script girls and he says she's a really lovely girl and he's shouting at her and abusing her as as Khan, and she's like reading Kirk's lines back. And she's not an actor either, so she's like Meek and Mart going, oh, "Yeah, okay, you're gonna have to get me now, Khan. You're gonna have to come and get me. <laughs> I'm gonna leave you." It's just yeah, and the fact that it's just as as you say, like it, it's the writing that obviously, and I think the directing mm. again is it just it all ties together really well it would have made more sense to really have the two stages next to each other and they could have acted off each other but that's when when you get good actors and good directors together it shows mm. and 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 this as is the perfect example it's like they look like they're talking to each other but they weren't they weren't at any point no, it's crazy absolutely they crazy just and, met that, up at the, and again it, yeah, it took at the table it read. took me probably two or three viewings of the film before i was just like i think someone might have mentioned it to me they were like no no kirk and khan don't show any screen time i was like what 
and I watched it again. I was just like, what? they don't like you, you don't even realize like that's that's how well it's done, and that yet they still have this brilliant rivalry, like without a shadow of a doubt. That again, it culminates in the said in the space battle, which culminates in what you think is going to be the end of the end of Khan when they um, when they basically obliterate obliterate the Reliant um, and yeah shoot a number of bits off of it. As they say, they they, they go to town, um, and you think right, that's it now. Like Khan's Khan's out for the count. Um, Khan's not out for the count. You get this incredibly sort of scary almost Terminator-esque moment where like half of his face is burnt and uh, he's not in Khan's not in a good way but he's he's that full of rage where yeah. he kind of he I forget does he contact the Enterprise at this point and tell them and start gloating again or do they I think no, uh, no he's just he's just speaking at the screen now isn't it yeah. it's like the Enterprise is fucked up as well and it can't move and it tries to limp away and Kirk's like uh, come on Scully we need warp out oh no no they don't limp away at that point um Khan has his big speech. Yeah. Um, um, around, oh, that might actually come afterwards. I can't remember like, at what point it comes. But he basically switches on the Genesis device, yeah. as you say, like to, like crawling. You're just like the Terminator. Yeah. I never thought yeah. of it like that before. But it is like the Terminator. Yeah, isn't before it? just Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if this was another, if this was a modern movie, they would have to have a scene where Kirk and Khan beam down to a planet. Maybe it would be Genesis planet or. Or, or Kirk would beam to the Reliant, and they would have a punch mm. up down in the, down in the warp core or whatever it is, and and then they would just get out in the nick of time, and there'd be like there'd be set piece after set piece. But here it's just like we're telling a simple, straightforward story, um, and it's not necessary. It's not necessary. Like you, it's just the last thing that Khan can do is commit suicide, so he flicks the switch on the Genesis device. Yeah, he flicks the switch on Genesis device, which starts a countdown to activate Genesis, which will in turn uh, generate an explosion. A ge an explosion, I guess, is the right word for it, which will send a Genesis wave and ultimately destroy the Enterprise. Um, yeah. At this point, the Enterprise um, has not got enough power and needs some repairs to the warp core. I think to um, is, I think it's they, they're just on impulse. Aren't yeah, they're they? on impulse they're like, power. Can, can, what they say? Oh, can okay let's just just leave now on impulse khan does his his little speech um i think there's also a nice little moment where who says it is it Chekhov that says it we're not going to make it are we yeah and then kirk who's really defensive at this point like all curled up in a ball looks at um david and david just looks back and just shakes his head and it's like no and then it's just oh yeah, yeah. and then I'll let, I'll let you take us through to the end are you sure? Yeah. More, yeah. All right. So, yeah, this. this I've, we we talked about this just before we came on air. Actually, that what what's coming next is it's still devastating to this day, and I don't think it's just nostalgia. It's just so well put together. It's incredibly well put together. Yeah. It's just like they're not going to get the warp engines on. Scotty's saying that's it. Uh, the compartment's flooded with um, radiation, so radiation's obviously still a problem in the future. And Spock just looks up. This is a moment where he's just right. I'm gonna go and do something. And normally that would be Spock just going down fixing something. But there's just something about that look that Leonard Nimoy goes. So you're like, oh fuck, he's not coming back. There's something about that look. It's not just him going down fixing the warp coil like he did in Star Trek One. There's a finality to that look. Just seconds of screen time, and he goes down, and the. Uh, the dilithium chamber, whatever it is, it's just flooded with radiation. 
whole enterprise is screwed and uh, he tries to go in there and McCoy tries to stop him uh, Scotty's on the floor unconscious the bodies everywhere mental and uh, Bone says you can't go in there you, you'll die you know no human could survive Doctor as you're fond of saying I'm not a not a, yeah, I'm not a human not, yeah, yeah not a human being he said no you'll no, no one can stand that radiation. You'll, you'll die in seconds. Oh, well, how's that? Scotty. Um, and that's the moment where he does a little nerve pinch, sends um, McCoy to to the floor. And at this point of the production, this is where Leonard Nimoy had made the concerted, like, by his own admission, had decided, actually, Star Trek's not bad. I'm having such a good time. Mm. Maybe I don't really want to be killed off. And Nicholas Meyer, all the way through seeing the dailies, is like, oh, this is fucking good. And Harv Bennett are like, this is this is good. I think we're going to make more after this. Yeah. No one thought there was going to be a Star <laughs> yeah. Trek 3. Yeah. I mean, this is why it was going to end that way. I'm sure there's people that really thought there was going to be a Star Trek 3. But, yeah. And so literally on the day of shooting, this is um, uh, Shatner talking about this. On the day of shooting, there's a little like, a huddle between... Um, between Nimoy and between the director Nicholas Meyer and they're like can you just give me a thread for Star Trek 3 just something that could be what do you think and he's like well maybe I can do like a little mind meld like this and he says do it and they went in there and it's just a, it's a throwaway thing that without that little thread there would be no Star Trek yeah. 3 it would be so hard to do a Star Trek 3 yeah, but it's just perfect and it's just like on the day shit I don't I want to come back and do another Star Trek how do we do that and they just did it like the magic of it is just wonderful and Vulcan nerve pinch on on McCoy McCoy goes down Spock puts his fingers on his face and just says remember and then walks into the chamber and proceeds to put the warp core back online he get he he obviously struggles and people are banging on the window Scotty then get comes out of his stupor and the two of them especially in the director's cuts because it, they, they, they play that mm. out much longer they do yeah that is what really got me the performances of the two like they're just like get out of there banging on the door cup, like they can't go in get him because they flood the whole compartment he's in there and he's dying the man's dying to save them and suddenly there's a little flash of graphics up on the bridge that says the, the walk core was back online and and uh, Kirk's like well done Scotty right engage and they streak out just as the Reliant blows up that blows up the entire nebula and it's a wonderful effect as well the way it just sort of streaks out of the explosion and a planet starts forming the Reliant's gone and Kirk's like yeah we did really well everyone's celebrating and then there's that just haunting haunting message from um from McCoy saying Jim I think you better get down here um, and he looks and there's an empty chair and he's like oh fuck like you he he knows yeah. and then we just get to that it's, I'm, I'm, I'm welling up just talking about yeah, it I'm not sort of, bullshit yeah. it's really it's an incredibly it's, just, it's an incredibly powerful moment like it, yeah I was welling up I was welling up and oh, I, yeah when I've just, just watched it two friends Kirk gets in and Kirk wants to open and just rush in there and he's got three people I know I've forgotten about that there's actually someone up around his waist holding him yeah, it's, it's like, yeah which is great you've got a, yeah just the little again the little things are fantastic and McCoy's saying you're going to flood the compartment you can't go in there um, and then Scotty just says he says but I will die 
he, he's dead already. Just like, oh, bang, right <laughs> in the heart. Let's just... And then Kurt goes to the window and bangs on the window and, like, it's muffled and he has to go to the communicator. All those little bits are, like, are just... He's not... He's clearly not thinking. It's a beautiful performance from Shatner. Calls his friend over, Spock, and they have that conversation. And Spock basically says... What do you think of my Kobayashi Maru? You know, the ship out of danger. Mm. Yeah, the ship's safe. And he's like, "What do you think of my solution to Kobayashi Maru? Maru? I've never, I never took it. I think, I think this is quite a good solution." And then the callbacks to the previous conversations, the needs of the one, yeah, the needs of the, of the many out, yeah, needs of the many out, the needs of the, the one, the few, yeah. And then Spock just goes, yeah. "The needs of the one," and then like it just yeah. holds his hand up to the glass. Oh, it's a I moment. Am, oh. I have been and always will be your friend. Oh, and beautiful. And it, I, uh, yeah. And then Kirk, rather lazy. I think it would have been better if Shatner have actually made the effort of made made the actual sign. Yeah. Can't quite make the Vulcan sign like it's really difficult to do or something. Yeah. Or he's been struggling with it his whole life. And the two touch hands separated by a glass and, and uh, Spock dies. And, you know, the film was supposed to originally end with Spock dying. Uh, the torpedo scene, which comes next, which is a beautiful scene. Yeah. Um, Scotty playing the bagpipes. Uh, the torpedo being loaded and fired onto this newly developing planet, which is the Genesis planet. I don't know if there was already a sun there or a star there already, or I, I don't know how the mechanics of that work. I, I never quite... Was the whole system created by the Genesis device we find out later the reason why it was so spectacularly successful which is a nice little thread that that the writers in star trek 3 hang on to mm. and, and develop um but the film was supposed to end there and they and it, a lot of people talk about um showing movies to an audience beforehand and screeners how they ruin a movie sometimes they don't sometimes they're really really important and this is one of the cases where they showed that film to the audience and they loved it but they came out feeling really shitty and sad mm. plus you've got everyone at this point wants another Star Trek film and they haven't even finished they're like this is going to be something and you can feel it so they went back they shot reshot a few bits and pieces got ILM to do that the entire sequence where the ah. Uh, where you get uh, the uh, close-up or the zooming in to the planet, the Genesis planet, we see like all this beautiful foliage growing, and it's very primeval. It has a feeling of like primeval Earth, mm. um, and it just settles on the torpedo tube of 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 um, of Spock, which is wonderful, um, and and that along with the sort of conversation that that Kirk has on the bridge, saying how he feels much younger now and talks about his it was a far better right at the beginning of the film we didn't talk about there was a book given to him by um, Spock for his it's his birthday we didn't even mention that did we? no we didn't that's, um, that's why um, that's why Bones yeah. brings the Romulan ale for a drink with him doesn't it yeah yeah, yeah so you know all, all the while all the way through this film Kirk's been feeling old and, and it is really a film about age and, and, and accepting getting old and accepting death and facing death um, and he quotes uh, A Tale of Two Cities is a far far better thing that I do now than I have, have ever done um, it's, it's almost like this sets the template for Star Trek films to come where they quote a lot of classic literature and they have the, the classic 
nautical themes, classic you know, actor standing ups, speaking great lines, mm. the whole cool. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a naval funeral, isn't it? Like the send off yeah. of Spock is is clearly modelled on a naval funeral. There's, there's, there's almost yeah, no no doubt in it. I think. Mm. And there was a lot of criticism at the time for Starfleet being a military organisation, but it doesn't make sense. It, like, I can't see how it can't be a military organisation. And Roddenberry was very against the idea, and you can see that in the motion picture where it, it, one of the criticisms I totally admit to is that in the first Star Trek film it feels very much like just a bunch of people sort of hanging out together. It's mm. like it's a bit too lovey-dovey, maybe a bit too fluffy. Like, yeah, and and, and as much as I don't like, I I don't like the uniforms in this. Um, I think it was the right way to go. I think it was the right way to go. It's clearly a military organisation. There should be different bits and pieces in there. And 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 um, I don't know. When look, when I die, I want the music from Star Trek Two playing. <laughs> I want I want the bagpipes. I want I want the uh, the song, and I want James Horner. That's what I want. It's so if you're listening out well. there, that's that's what I want. Write it down. I've said it now. Oh, it's 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 just wonderful. Um. But it's not really the end of the film. I mean, if if Star Trek was to end there, that would yeah. have been a good place to end it. Like if it was, no, it, it is depressing. Don't get me wrong. But if Star Trek was to finish, then that would have been a good place to finish. I think. I don't. I don't think there's there's any yeah. arguing that. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think I for for my money is when you hear Leonard Nimoy saying the more Star Trek intro. Mm. at the end of the film that yeah. just gives you hope that something else is going to happen really that's yeah. the icing on the cake I mean you've seen the torpedo yeah you've heard you've heard Spock give give the lines so the torpedo is fired into the Genesis planet which I think is the bit we've missed yeah because at this point yeah. it is actually a planet isn't it yeah. and instead of being burnt out we find out in Star Trek 3 the planet was in flux the torpedo didn't disintegrate it somehow managed to make it to the uh, to the surface um, as the planet was still evolving, and that, you know, that and the remember of the two threads left in this film that allow Star Trek Three, that allowed Nimoy to come back, mm. that that, you know, created a quite a lush, uh, interesting arc in a series of films. Um, unintentionally, I know it wasn't planned, but it, it works. It works really well. And I, I don't, you know. You, already said it I was in bits yeah like in, in that scene it really is right from the moment where Spock's gives that look that you know he's not coming back because you know he's not coming back obviously you've seen it a few times all the way through to like I have it's that it's that line I have always been your friend yeah um just ugh and it, I think it's they both give a great performance I think Shatner just gives an incredible performance performance in this film um, and it's 110 minutes of a movie it's done incredible yeah it's uh, I mean honestly I just think the just everything about this film like is the pacing's nigh on perfect it doesn't feel like 110 minutes it feels like it's over in about 45 to a minutes to an hour which is always the good sign which is always the sign of a good film in my in my book um, it's it, yeah it's it's a very very different film to the motion picture um, for my money it's it's the superior film I don't I think there's very little wrong with um with Wrath of Khan I really like the pace of it it does something very different it's a good sequel in the fact it does something very different to the motion picture 
um, it takes Star Trek in a, a lot of darker direction than I think a lot of people were expecting um, and does something a bit different with the franchise that arguably I don't think they could have done with the original series in, in the, where some of this goes um, and yeah and for me like whether it's one of the I think it's like I, I mentioned earlier that my wife liked it and she's not a massive Star Trek fan I think this is one of those films that even if you don't think you like Star Trek start here because you might surprise yourself yeah. I think is, is what I'd say to be fair if you don't like Star Trek there's no chance you've listened to all of this episode um, <laughs> so I'm probably I'm probably preaching to the converted here um, yeah. but yeah, yeah like know. absolutely it's it's an it's an, a very it's not just a good Star Trek film it's a great film in its own right I think is the point I'm trying to make it, it's it, it I think it's in many ways a perfect film it's a good example of many things it's, it's, it's an example of good writing you get the script right you know we know that the motion picture and many films afterwards were production was commenced without a proper script without a solid script this script was worked on and worked on and worked on and worked on over and over again um, admittedly in pre-production but they had the script nailed and bolted and done before like actually got to the point where the script was they were so happy with the script they forgotten to call up Ricardo Martelbond and ask him if he was available or talk to his agents <laughs> like they were that close to filming um, luckily he thank god they were and then the script was good enough for Ricardo Martelbaum to go he was like I don't want to do Star Trek why do I want to do this for and it was the script that got him into it um, and I'm very glad they got rid of the blackface on him as well um, yes yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's a bit uncomfortable watching that 60s episode where he's I mean yeah he. it's just uncomfortable <laughs> uh, we need someone of colour get I don't know just get a Hispanic that's that's close enough isn't it he looks Hispanics and Sikh look the same oh, god it was a fucking terrible world wasn't it that we used yeah. to live in um, yeah so it's it. the story is great the directing is great the acting is fantastic the music by James Horner which we've only lightly touched on is, is one of my favourite scores of all time mm. even though it does get recycled a lot later on. James Horner, for my money, is a lot like uh, Danny Elfman. He's got a palette. It's yeah. not as wide as James Horner, uh, as, as, as John Williams, or as Jerry Goldsmith. They have, but I think Jerry Goldsmith and John Williams are few and far between. Um, but early Horner stuff is just fantastic. This, um, Kral. Um, obviously the Alien soundtrack there's elements in this which is very much like the sort of um, the uh, colonial marines escape from the yeah. the nest and aliens theme the thumping you especially see this in in, uh, in the next film that we talk about which is um, Star Trek 3 the Klingon theme is very much like that um, but this is yeah there's not much more to say from my point, point of view really um, it's it's just wonderful I think more people should go back and watch it and analyse it more filmmakers should go back it's a good soft reboot as you say yeah and it just, it stands yeah. up it stands up remarkably well to, for however well for the 38 years old that it is now um, it, it stands up remarkably well it's just a very very tight piece of filmmaking and again what you can do with, with limited budget and as again for me what stands out and again I'm repeating myself is just the fact the two the lead, two leading characters the, the Kirk and Khan share no screen time and it's still an incredibly tense film like absolutely I think it's maybe yeah, perhaps it's not underappreciated in the right circles but I, I think it's I think it is underappreciated I think when people talk about like great sci-fi films for me Wrath of Khan should probably come up in conversation a lot more than it does yeah it's definitely more 
science fiction than than the space fantasy like Star Wars. Obviously, mm. they're very different franchises, and I do feel like people who are now got control of or initially had control let's put it that way initially had control of, of new star trek need to do what half bennett and maya did you need to go back and watch star trek you yeah. need to spend three months watching star trek and then think about make and and working out why why has the franchise been going for so long why are people so passionate about it? why do people get so angry when you fuck with it and mess with it this is a good example of of how you can deal with the fan base respectfully and still make a good interesting film and yeah. subvert their expectations and play with those expectations while not fucking them off and driving them away no it's a really interesting point because yeah it is markedly different in tone to the series but as you say didn't manage to not drive people away which is rare <laughs> yeah yeah and and it's like I said right at the beginning the whole thing with Spock being killed off no one wanted it if it was the internet time it would have been even more of a controversy it was in papers magazines like someone leaked it it got out and everyone thought Spock's dead and so what they did in response to that they shot the Kobayashi Maru stuff if it wasn't for the it, it's weird how th- th- this, these things work like this it, if it wasn't for the fans getting pissed off about Kirk uh, about Spock dying that they wouldn't have been forced into a corner like, similar to the corner because they had a low budget of creating a fake death for Spock mm. to trip up the audience go yeah we killed him but just in the beginning what are you talking about he's not going to die it's yeah. done what are you talking about it's fine look and they, and they faked out the audience it's like they trolled the audience before there was a word for trolling yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah. fantastic yeah. and the whole thing like okay so we've only got enough money to make one bridge so we'll just redress the Enterprise bridge for the um, uh, Reliant. For the Reliant and we can't afford to have Shatner and Ricardo Montalban standing around feeding each other lines so we're just going to get people in the production group to feed, feed the lines of each other character but somehow as you said they, they, they're never in the same room together no. and, and they didn't need to they're such but it's such a great performance from both of them and it's so well put together that it's just I can't what that's three criticisms I've counted three criticisms I think I might be wrong maybe four of the whole movie maybe, oh, maybe the James Horner thing the fact that James Horner repeats himself a little bit later on but that's later that's not yeah. now no absolutely Yeah. that's not now there's a little bit of battle battle beyond the stars but still to this day I can't fault it more than that that's why it's the best Star Trek <laughs> it's on par today it's on par with motion okay. picture it's on par but I don't I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to rate all these Star Trek films no because what we've got coming out next Star Trek 3 I love Star Trek 3 see this is the one I remember being the probably the even more unsure of than motion picture so I'm very intrigued I'm very excited to revisit this one uh, obviously oh, I revisited motion picture and it changed changed my thought process but I do remember having some uh, minor reservations shall we say uh, with, with Star Trek 3 from memory so I'm excited to revisit this one to be honest um, and then also very excited to get to Star Trek 5 but we're not there yet <laughs> oh what about Star Trek 4 you don't like Star Trek 4 I like Star Trek I mean, 4 but I'm more we've excited we've got some to... great films coming yeah, up yeah yeah I'm more excited to get to Star Trek 5 because that's a bizarre film <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, I'm not looking forward to that one although I've got stories for that one That that's yeah 
Yeah. Well, don't worry, we're getting there. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, look, Paul. Thank you very much for for coming on the show again. I've had loads of fun doing this. Um, it's, it's it's great revisiting the Star Trek films, and especially like looking at them with fresh eyes as well. Star Trek Two, as I said, like I watched this all the time as a kid. Mm. Um, haven't watched it so much, and um, yeah, I like you know. I don't, I don't want to say this is better than the motion picture. I think it. Yes, all right. Look, I admit it's a better film than the motion picture. <laughs> I've got <okay>? you, <laughs> but I still. Uh, prefer the motion picture no that's fair that's uh, absolutely fair do you know what no, I mean no it's like I, I accept the motion that. picture is a subpar film this is definitely a better film you could yeah. just watch this and watch no other Star Trek like it's standalone perfect yeah absolutely everything about it is is, is, is spot on um, and I'm yeah okay so uh, next week or next time sorry we will be looking at Star Trek 3 the search for Spock who would have guessed that Spock wasn't dead and he comes back didn't see that coming well actually turned out that no one saw that coming until the end of the production of this but you know we've already said that if you've missed that bit go back and listen to this again this is uh, the Babylon Undead special podcast i got Paul Anderson here thank you very much and Zig Bingham thank you guys and uh, we'll catch you next time alright keep safe and keep cool till after school 